0: You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. Let's get right into it with the NBA Eastern Conference playoff landscape. First with last night's series, Boston pulls it out 4-1 to one over Philadelphia. We have here in our notes, it ain't over till it's over. In the words of Joel Embiid, history will be retweeted. Well, it's over now, and we can discuss whether or not history started last night with the Philadelphia Sixers playoff run. Or maybe a little stall in the process, but either way, let's get to Boston first—the team that will be moving on. What do you think of this team? Do they have a chance on the, in the next round? What did you think of their first
1: pl- two rounds of play? Boston's weird because you look at them and they don't have—they don't have a LeBron. They don't have an Embiid and Simmons connection. They don't have anybody that sticks out to you, and when you see them, you're like, wow, this is superstar. This is superstar potential. But what they have is about six guys, maybe seven guys, that when you look at them, they are good young players. So you have Jason Tatum, who's rookie season. It looks great. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown in his second year. But then to cap it all off, you have these minds of Brad Stevens, who uh, very well could have been coach of the year, and Al Horford, who has been around for a while, the veteran leadership and the good player down low. But what's the most, thing, most interesting thing about this team is any one of them can take control. Any one of them can score 25-plus points. I think at, out of the entire playoff so far, I think five, every single one of them have had a 25-point game so far. That's what makes this team interesting. To answer the question of can they go farther, I don't really think so. I think Philly had a much better shot against LeBron than uh, the uh, Celtics did because you can stick Ben Simmons on LeBron and be totally happy with the matchup. Mm. because Not because Ben Simmons can stop him defensively, but because Ben S- Simmons could score offensively. If you can't stop LeBron, not, not lately, right? Not I mean,
0: now. he can score against these Boston Celtics. I don't know what he's going to do against LeBron James. But if
1: you can't shut LeBron James down on the defensive end, you better be able to score enough that his points really don't mean the most. Uh, That's why I think Ben Simmons could do it. So this Boston team is good. This Boston team will be good. But I really don't see them taking more than two against this Cleveland team.
0: But this is kind of the matchup of the future, right? When you talk about Boston, Philadelphia, these are the two teams that you look at in the Eastern Conference and you can confidently
1: say they're going to be here again. Well, we Brown don't. said it. He said, "You, yeah, you, the road to the playoffs to the East is going to go gonna through, Boston. through Boston." That's, yep. that, you're Because you're, we're going to see it so many times. These teams just beating each other down in the playoffs.
0: Right. I mean, this this is the new Cavs Raptors. This is the new Cavs pace, or uh, Heat Pacers. If you think a couple years back, because you know we've heard it so many times throughout this series, Boston doesn't have their guys. Wait till Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward are back. And as much as that's maybe a tired narrative and you have to, this year, move on to the team you do have, it is also true that next year this Boston Celtics team is going to be better. And they have so much to work with when you think about Jason Tatum maybe being their fourth best player next year. It's a pretty scary thought. Philadelphia, on the other hand, as we eulogize their season, in my opinion, far outseated expectations. Tough way to go, but beginning of this season, you would not have predicted this team to be third in the East, and to win 52 games. No, and I
1: think the, the thing that I was going to say about Philly is I just don't think they were ready. I don't think they were ready for, A, for Boston to put up as much of, of a fight than that they did, and B, I don't think they were ready for that playoff spotlight yet. I think they need one more year under their belt, one more year of maturity, one more year to kind of collectively say, we can do this, we can get it done, and we're we're definitely going to see them, I think, in the same spot next year against probably Boston or the wherever, where, yeah, wherever LeBron goes. wherever if LeBron is in the east <laughs> yeah. it will be that team but the thing that kind of amazed me about Philly is that even with Embiid getting hacked and shoved whether or not Thank you, they were the yeah whether or not they were extreme foul calls or not i think he, i think he had a good point uh when i watched the games they didn't a lot of those things that he thought were fouls i don't think they were fouls but he did have a good point that his free throws dipped heavily in a more contact matchup, uh that even with Embiid sh- playing badly, he was still twenty and tening you. He was still mm-hmm. twenty five. Embiid and 12-ing with the mask, you. sloppy
0: like, ball handles. He still got his points. He's
1: he's still gonna 22 and,
0: and twenty two and. And he and he and like you said, he should have played better. As should a lot of these guys in the series. I mean, last night's a two
1: point game. Yeah, I, I hate J- the, I hate to pin that right on it, but it, was,
0: well, yeah, it's I mean, it's not just Embiid though. Like JJ Redick, not a great game. Misses a wide open three that could have put the Sixers up seven with less than two minutes to go. Dario Saric had a great game for himself, 27 points, 10 rebounds, but he gets the final touch, and he's kind of stuck out on an island, couldn't get anything going on a post. I mean, a couple times in this series, they're one or two plays away from swinging this to a completely different conversation. You think about last night, you think about game three, the Marco Bellinelli play, if he's two feet further behind the line, that's a different, you know, this is a whole different discussion. So, I agree with you that that it's probably a year too soon for this team, but it, a lot of positive signs. And as Brett Brown said last night, in a playoff series like this against a physical team, against a very well coached team, you learn a lot about yourself, much more than you learn about yourself in the regular season. And now, as we head into the off season with this Philadelphia team, there are a lot of weaknesses that were exploited that they can now work on and try to improve. And among them are you know the guy you point to, I guess I would say in that conversation is Ben Simmons, who has obvious talent, but obvious glaring weaknesses. In this series, he's minus 63. The team was plus 48 when he was on the bench. What does Ben Simmons need to do between now and next season to solidify Philadelphia's chances in the playoffs?
1: Change-wise, nothing. I think we said it both. It's time, it's maturity. He needs to get more poised. There was the play in in game four, I believe, when they were... Leading with 20-something seconds on the clock, and he put a shot up. That's a maturity thing. You need to know that when you're leading with 20 seconds left, it dribbled the ball out, burn the time. He missed the shot. Celtics got it, ran down the court, and Terry Rozier put the ball in. That's a maturity thing. Him not performing as well. Sure, you can go. He wasn't dribbling as well. He didn't see the court as well. But it's a maturity. Give him another year. Give him another year under his belt. Let him solidify his talent, his stance on this Sixers team. And then he'll be right back. Where we were talking about him in their win streak at the end, saying this Embiid-Simmons is is real. And I still think it is. And I still think it will be for realistically as long as they're both able to play.
0: What do they put around Embiid and Simmons now? They have a chance to to make some significant moves this offseason if they so choose. They'll have a one max salary spot, J.J. Reddick's a free agent, as is Amir Johnson, T.J. McConnell, restricted free agent. Uh, You know, they just extended Robert Covington. Is he part of the long-term equation in Philadelphia? Maybe more abstract as those more specific questions will be answered throughout the offseason, but from a more abstract standpoint, systematically, what type of player needs to be alongside that Ben Simmons, Joel, and Bede combination long-term?
1: I don't think they really need to Change much? I think they need to let Amir Johnson go. He didn't do anything yeah. superior for the team. He's a good veteran guy on the bench. He's played with a bunch of decent teams. He's played with Boston. He played with Atlanta, I believe, when Atlanta mm-hmm. was a good team. now yeah, his time's done. Yeah, yeah, he's he's done. I think they really need to bring back Redick because having Redick as that outer—I mean, they have a few different players that can play that wing position, but Redick just kind of brings that extra layer. You know, he's Experience, you know, he can do that. I mean, even in this last game, when he came off the screen and hit a ridiculous three to make the game interesting the one in the corner, yeah, Yeah. that's that's a play that JJ Raddick's gonna make that almost every other player, not named Corver and Steph, are gonna make. Like, that's what you need from him. I think one thing that they really need is another ball handler because you have TJ McConnell, who is, yeah, he had a good game, he had 17 points the last game, not not the uh last one but two games ago. Uh and then you have Simmons, but you need one more guy. You need at least one. Teams with yeah. three ball handlers. You need, well you need the bad.
0: guy in my opinion who can get to the hoop. The guy who can who he's got a good enough shot that you have to come out and play him, which then allows him to drive to the basket and get you buckets when the game slows down and it's more isolation style in the playoffs. That's that's what Boston has that's what certainly the Cavaliers have that the Sixers don't. And the element that the Sixers have that those teams don't is they have a seven foot two guy who can bang with you in the post, and they should still take advantage of that. But late in games, that's not necessarily the place to go with everybody else standing around and watching, and they can bring doubles. You need the guy who can stand up there and get, get buckets. And the guy that was supposed to be that for this team was Markel Fultz, and he didn't play in the second round of the playoffs. What's his future in Philadelphia?
1: I want to know what's his future in the NBA. That's – while that might seem extreme, this was a player that was held to almost as high as any rookie standard in a, in a long time that we've seen. And then he forgets how to shoot. He rehabs. He comes back. He looks competent again. He looks pretty stable again. And then he goes silent in the playoffs. Uh, I think it was a good decision to have him stay silent during the playoffs. Yeah. But what is he – now just perennially going to be a 15-minute-off-the-bench guy, or is he ready to recover that position that he knew he was supposed to have? If it's the latter of the two and he is going to be back in that position, that Sixers team takes a step up because, like you said, they don't need to look for that guy anymore. They have that guy. They can now use their max spot and more to entice somebody, mm-hmm. whether that enticement goes to LeBron, whether that enticement goes to Paul George, uh, any Bringing J.J. back yeah started. definitely bring JJ mm. back so where does this go for Markel Fultz optimal what wise he's back on the Sixers back on the Sixers back in full force and he'll be back hopefully in the starting lineup realistically I think next year he's going to go to 20 minutes a game 25 minutes a game maybe towards the end of the year if he's good and he's healthy he'll play the full time but you need to make sure he's capable because this team like we just talked about going places and you're either in and you're out on this team and if they don't need to waste all their time on Markel Fultz, even though he was this coveted player. Because you have Simmons, you haven't beaten, you have max max spot for him.
0: Last night, the Boston Celtics defeat the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers one fourteen to one twelve to take the four to one series win. They move on to face the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals, who swept the number one seed Toronto Raptors. The LeBronto Raptors. LeBron James in that series, 34 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game, and 11.3 assists per game. As a team, the Cavaliers shoot 41.1% from three. Kevin Love, a double double on average that series. DeMar DeRozan doesn't hit a three.
1: What do you make of this series? This is the first series, the first game that a player not named LeBron James scores 20 or more points. No player on LeBron's side scored 20 more points in the first round. Kevin Love was the first one in the second round to do it alongside him. But what, I mean, I wrote this in the doc and I know it's a little further now, but I do want to hit this right off the bat. Is, is, Is Toronto the worst one seed that we've had? Are they, because they looked terrible against LeBron, whether that is Relative to LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers and how they were playing or realistically, like we said, uh, Kyle Lowry, invisible, Serge Ibaka, not doing too much. is Because this Toronto team has been plagued by LeBron and rightfully so. They really don't have too much against him. But this team in the one-seed position didn't look spectacular in the first round.
0: No, they were hor- – well, I mean they they barely got – I mean as the one-seed, you should not get to six games – Right against the eighth seed, and then you come out, and this was a probably above average. Yeah, but if you really wanted to inspire confidence in you being the number one seed, you go out and take care of business, and then you don't lose the first two games at home in the series, and then it's it's over, and you're playing LeBron James, the best player in the game, and you gave no resistance. Uh, I mean, I mean LeBron. I mean, give tons of credit to LeBron James for what he did. It was an absolutely incredible. His game winning shots were incredible. If you're the number one seed Toronto, you got to figure out a way to make it happen, as they did in the course of the regular season. This is the last time, I think, with this team that anybody will be convinced that they can be a playoff contender until they get there. You know, every year it's kind of, are we doing this again with Toronto over the course of the regular season? And this was the year that a lot of people were like, yes, this is finally the time for them. And because they blew this opportunity, nobody's going to get back on board until they actually prove themselves. Yeah. But to your question about them being the number the worst number one seed in recent mm-hmm. memory... They're up there. I mean, I think about the 60-win Hawks team that had, like, the five. At one point, they gave all five starters player of the week, Mm. which is the stupidest thing ever. But that team was similar almost to this Boston Celtics team in that they didn't have a single elite scorer. It was Al Horford, Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver, that type of everybody gets a touch. Yeah, it was a well-rounded team. But when it came to time in the playoffs for somebody to step up and make a play, they didn't have that guy. And Toronto is supposed to have those guys in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, but they didn't show up. So yes, it's probably one of the worst one seeds in recent memory, or at the very least one of the worst showings from a one seed in recent memory.
1: So we talked about it, and you asked, what do we make of this series? I think this silences critics on both sides. It silences the critics of Cleveland saying, this is... The, the the year that LeBron doesn't do it. This is the team that LeBron doesn't do it with. And that's pretty much silenced. And I think it silences sure. it on the Toronto but side. But I
0: don't think those people who said this is the year that LeBron is like to, has a bad team, I don't think those people were wrong. I do, right. I do still think this is a bad Cavs team. This is one of the worst teams LeBron has played with recently. But LeBron James has taken his game to yet another level, which has made possible what they're doing right now.
1: And the people talking about Toronto saying that this team is ready, this this finally, this is their f- fourth time in the playoffs, third getting knocked out by LeBron in the third straight year, I believe. Yes. Uh, this is finally their time to get LeBron, finally get to beat him. They're now silenced because they didn't, and I don't think they're ever going to if they continue at this rate. To go to your point that this Cleveland team is the worst team, I agree, but I also think that this Cleveland team also knows their role now. Everybody that's, that's not me and LeBron. Corver came out in a press conference and yeah, said. Yeah,
0: they f- they figured out something with this yeah. Kevin Love, Kyle Corver as kind of your B and C options.
1: Yeah, they um, know that if the ball lands in their hands, they have two options. Catch and shoot or look for LeBron. Shoot it or move it. Yeah, that's all it is. And I think that with that mentality, this Cleveland team is this Cleveland team. But. Where do you go player-wise? And I know we're going to talk about it a little later in the show, but as a broad look at this Toronto team, they're already talking about whether or not they're going to bring their head coach back. That was That's already a rumor floating around. We're already talking about where are these extra pieces going in Toronto. We're already talking about if DeRozan and Lowry, it's finally time to get some new scenery. Is this, I don't want to say the end, but is this the end of this Raptors buzz, this Raptors hype, this Raptors streak of getting to the playoffs getting knocked out by LeBron.
0: Well, I won't say it's the end of getting knocked out by LeBron because they very well could be right back in this situation and if they are, they're going to get knocked out by LeBron again. Uh, I think DeMar DeRozan is there for the long term. He, he made significant improvements this season and he is an upper echelon player in the NBA. Kyle Lowry, on the other hand, I don't know what his future is. If you're Toronto, I wouldn't mind moving off of two years, $64 for what he gave you in the playoffs, which was 15 points a game, shooting 41% from the field and 34% from three. You can get that from T.J. McConnell. But I don't know who wants that either. I don't know who sees this playoff history and says Kyle Lowry is the missing piece for our team. We're going to give up assets to get him. So if there's not equal value for either of those two guys... Maybe you roll them back out again, and you're happy being a 50-win team in not one of the NBA's top markets and you know making the playoffs, and that's enough for your fan base. And you know you're not going to make the championship, that you don't have enough to beat LeBron or the Celtics or the Sixers, whoever it is. that is, That's the top team in the East, but you're okay with being the fourth or fifth best team in the East.
1: So Kyle Lowry came out and said this season was a waste. This season meant nothing, which I, which I agree with. Because you had a record-setting season and you couldn't do anything with it. And we've been talking about it the last few minutes. But I will deliver you the ultimatum question that a lot of people are asking. Should Toronto blow it up and start over? Or should Toronto just look for an extra piece here and there? What's your What's your take on that?
0: Real quick before we go to break. I, I say don't blow it all the way up. It's a long road back to where they are right now. Um, I don't know what the extra piece is. They they have a few intriguing options. Maybe it's moving Kyle Lowry and bringing in two or three complimentary pieces for DeMar DeRozan to work with. But I don't don't think you can take a number one seed team and completely blow that up. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. In the Eastern Conference Finals, it'll be the Cleveland Cavaliers facing off against the Boston Celtics. And out West, it's Golden State and Houston. I think the matchup we've all been waiting for throughout this season— the Rockets surpassed the Warriors and finished the year atop the Western Conference, but now Golden State really coming into their own 4-1 4-1 on their road to the Western Conference finals. Steph is back and KD looks pretty good as evidenced by that 4-1 series wins over a rolling New
1: Orleans Pelicans team. Yeah, and this is the first time since I believe 2014 where Steve Kerr will not play game 1 on his home court. I don't know how much that will affect a team like Golden State even though they have not lost a game at Oracle, which is the Golden State home arena. And I believe three years or two years they haven't dropped a game in Oracle. Playoff game. Yeah, playoff game in Oracle. Um, but this is the matchup we've all been waiting for. We always we talked about it all the time with these two teams being great. And every time we said if one team is going to beat Golden State, it's, it's the Houston. Rockets. If one team is going to beat Houston, it's Golden State. <laughs> this is the matchup we've been waiting for. We finally get to see – James harden and Clay get up with Clay Thompson and Chris Paul and Steph Curry battling it out. It's everyone's excitement, but I also think it's to the i don't want to say disappointment, but not not to the shock there's we talk about there's no team streaking late. there's no Boston Celtics or philadelphia seventy sixers that could have possibly been streaking late. This is just the two teams that we knew were going to be there, and it almost is was written in the stars since the playoffs started.
0: But now we finally get it. And oh, we yeah, get all now, that now star power that, that you were talking about. You know, the whole long eighty two game season, it builds to this moment, and this could be an all time great series. This could be something like the Oklahoma City Golden State series a couple years ago where they're up three one, Golden State comes all the way back, Klay Thompson a masterful game six performance to extend that series. Those are the types of games from these individual star players that it's going to take. To put one team over the other, they're both good enough that they'll take away each other's first and second options, and it's going to be the team that can make the most adjustments that will get an edge in the series.
1: So, which is true, you you take away your Steph Curry, your Kevin Durant, and your Clay Thompson, take away on the other side your James Harden, your Chris Paul, and we'll, we'll say Clint well, Capella.
0: And well, even for me, it's it's more specifically, when you look at Golden State defensively versus Houston, they're not going to beat Golden State's defenders over and over again, one-on-one isolation. They need a little bit more offensive structure because if there's a team that can switch and defend the pick-and-roll and and defend isolation against James Harden and Chris Paul, it's the Warriors because their five-man starting lineup are all, you know, with the exception of Steph Curry, six, seven guards with length and ability to switch onto any defender. So what does Houston do offensively to move the ball and find open shots in ways that they haven't already this season, that Golden State won't
1: be prepared for. I think Chris Paul is going to be the biggest X factor if, of the series. I think this is the yeah. biggest X factor of the playoffs so far. I think if Houston wins, it's on Chris Paul's shoulders, and if Houston loses, it's on Chris Paul's shoulders.
0: Harden will get his. Yeah, hard. what, Harden it's what will probably gives you thirty Paul every do. game. Yeah, and in in game five of that that closeout win against Utah. It's Chris Paul down the stretch. What did he have in the fourth quarter? Like 18 or something? Yeah. 41 points in that game. He was the guy who took it over and sealed the win for them.
1: I think he has the chip on his shoulder. This is the deepest he's ever been in the playoffs for a guy that is going to be as surefire as a, as surefire is in the NBA for Hall of Fame. I think he is He's one of the three best point guards ever. And he's going to be out here playing against one of the best teams ever in Golden State. He's not going to shy from this. He's going to have to put up that 20 and 10 every game. And he has the, the talent to do it. But the big thing that I'm looking at from Chris Paul is how he does defensively. Because he's he's old. He's old. <laughs> he's an old guy. And he's going to be tasked for, for the most part to guard Steph Curry. Chris Paul's a good defender. He's one of the better defenders in that position. But if you're going to ask him to it's guard Steph, Steph Curry... For hypothetically seven games? They're going to pull out that meme of, or the gif of him falling. you got to have some icy hot in the back because Chris Paul is going to need that every single time out because <laughs> Steph Curry's going to run run around him. But I, I, I put in the doc, and I still want to ask this, is this the best Golden State team that we've seen in the playoffs so far over the years? No, it's not as good as last year's team.
0: Okay. Last year's Golden State team. That that Golden State team, 16-1 and one in the postseason. But I think they were a little bit more cohesive heading into the playoffs than this year's team. This year's team still kind of figuring it back out with Curry being out for so long and Durant being out before then. And I think last year's team had better play from their role players. I think across the board, better shooting. Draymond Green has not shot as well this season as he did last year. But I think the bigger difference is the Sean Livingstons, the Andre Iguodalas, last year Ian Clark. Those guys last year were a little bit better than the guys they have now this year. Quinn Cook is still great. Quinn Cook's giving him good minutes. Iguodala's been coming back, giving them good minutes I think last year's team knows a little bit better, and I think it showed by how dominant they were in the first three rounds, not losing a game on the ra- on the way to the NBA Finals.
1: So we'll look at Houston now. Chris Paul, James Harden, and Clint Capella. We'll call them the Big Three. We'll go Golden State's Big Three of Steph. It's we'll a Big th-
0: Four. Yeah, you well, can't you can't exclude somebody. That's true. Yeah. I was
1: just thinking, who am I going to pick? Clay, <laughs> Clay, or Draymond? I don't know which one I was going to pick, but we'll go Big Four there. Who on Houston's side is going to step up? We talked about Chris Paul, but I I think we both can accept the point that Chris Paul can't do it all in this series. Who else on the Houston side is going to have to step up, whether it's Ariza or another deep bench player that is going to have to step up and win this?
0: Well, the, the guys who are going to win it, if they do, will be Harden and Paul. But as we look at the matchups more closely with the way Kevin Durant has been rolling, there's a big emphasis or I guess I'll say I'll be watching what Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker do, because I think those are the two guys that will match up on Kevin Durant. And as we spoke about the Warriors defensively matching up on Harden and Paul, on the other side, how the Rockets match up on Durant could really decide this series. And can Ariza and Tucker, again, as we were talking about with LeBron, not stop him? You're not going to stop him, but can they contain him and force him in crunch? clutch time moments to move the ball to somebody else and force somebody else to win the game for them. Because yes, they have these four all-stars, but Curry and Durant are on another level from Clay and Draymond. So if you can force the ball out of Durant and Curry's hands in crunch time and make Draymond Green or Clay Thompson beat you or Andre Iguodala ideally, you are in a much better position than Durant or Curry. And because well, uh, Houston actually has the star power to counter that. If if it's Draymond Green hitting crunch time shots versus James Harden or Chris Paul, that's where they get the advantage. So to me, it comes down to Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker, their best two wing defenders who will split time on Kevin Durant, what they do against the seven-foot freak who can shoot and if they can slow him down.
1: So we'll take a look uh, at the Houston series here. They ended up beating Utah 4-1, to one, but this Utah team showed some resilience they showed some promise here led by Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio uh what is this team showing and what do you think this Utah team will look like next year and the year after
0: They're they're a tough team, they're tough out. They don't beat themselves. You have to make plays to beat them. They're not they're almost like the opposite of the Sixers. They don't turn the ball over. Donovan Mitchell is amazing. He's a centerpiece of this team. Rudy Gobert, defensively, is the core of this team on the other side. Probably still a couple pieces away, and I don't know how they get those pieces. They're not going to attract a big-ticket free agent, and they're not going to draft high this June. But that's how it's always been for this team, and they still come out with diamonds in the rough, like a Gordon Hayward a couple years ago, like Rodney Hood before they moved him, like Donovan Mitchell this year. So I think they need to find one or two more guys deep in the draft before they can be in the conversation, truly. But year in, year out, they're going to be a tough out. And Quinn Snyder's a really good coach, similar vein as Brad Stevens. He, he puts his players in the best position to win, even if talent-wise they're
1: clearly outmatched. Before we go and make our picks for the winning teams, we'll take one look other look at the losing team of the Pelicans with Anthony Davis and a potential DeMarcus Cousins coming back. Rajon Rondo putting up almost 20 assists per game in that playoff series. What about Houston? I mean, they surprised people. I really wasn't too Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. New Orleans. They yeah. they, I, they surprised me. I wasn't too high on them. I didn't think they were even going to get past Portland, and they did. So, what is what is Houston, uh sorry, I almost said Houston again. What does New Orleans do or how do they get better because you know you're not going to get that uh stomp that you did against Portland. You're not going to get that again.
0: Right. It comes back to DeMarcus Cousins. That's the biggest question mark of the offseason for them. Cousins towards ACL, missed about half the season, but before that was an all star caliber center alongside Anthony Davis. He would have been eligible, he is eligible for max contract extension. I don't think he'll get that because of the injury. I think he comes back on a one year deal to kind of build his stock back up before going after a contract extension next offseason. So, with that being said, they bring him back. It's going to be continuing to work those two guys together. They were on the right track before he got hurt and figuring out how to best maximize their two abilities, plus Drew Holiday, who I think had a really good playoff run. I don't think there's a lot they're going to change personnel-wise. Come down to coaching and execution. Anthony Davis making maybe taking another step into the, you know, he's a top 10 player. Maybe he becomes a top 5 player for them to really make waves. But it's a good team. It's a really good team that can't be underestimated. And they're an interesting foil to somebody like Golden State or Houston if they have those two bigs playing well because that's the opposite of what the Warriors and the Rockets do, pounding you inside. But if they have those two guys working, I am still curious to see how that works out in a playoff series. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. To the gridiron we go. Last week was the NFL draft, but we do have some new and new news Coming out of the draft and also away from the draft, we start with the New Orleans Saints and running back Mark Ingram, who was suspended for four games today. His appeal of that suspension was denied. So no Mark Ingram for the first four games of the season, as you put in the notes so eloquently. Can't stay off the PEDs. No Marky Mark, but now it's time for Alvin Kamara, three down back.
1: You yeah. kind of take
0: over there with
1: the Saints. We talked about it last year, not necessarily with the same circumstances, but Zeke going down. But you have Le'Veon Bell getting suspended for four games. With David Johnson going out, you had the opportunity for running back twos to become running back ones. If I'm the Saints, sure, I'm disappointed. My running back one, I guess, got taken for PEDs. But you have Alvin Kamara. They're the first tandem to put up the numbers ever that they did last year. I'm not too surprised or too, not, not surprised. I'm not too concerned team wise, but personally, I think that's a huge blow for them because Mark Ingram finally is pulling his worth, really showing that he was worth every penny, every pick that they put into him. And now for him to kind of backhand the team and say, yeah, I took, well, maybe he didn't, you know, I'll give him, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but all arrows points to he did that he did end up using PEDs, that's a huge slap in the face. And what very well might happen is Alvin Kamara might be putting up 120 rush yards per game, 50 receiving yards per game. Mark Ingram comes back and barely sees the field. It could happen, but that's what happens. Do you think that having to
0: play three downs, four downs, if you're Alvin Kamara, when you also take into account what he does on special teams, do you think... At his size and stature, that that could be to his detriment. That he is more effective as the change of pace, split out in the slot, you know, not running between the tackles type of you know, tool. You know, he, he he's a, a electric guy, but he's not the three down back. Do you think that could to, could work to his detriment, or do you
1: think he'll be fine playing every down and he can shine in that role? I think the Saints are going to change up the game plan a little bit and go a little more option heavy, a little more pass heavy because Alvin Kamar can do both of those. I think if the Saints are going to go uh, Ezekiel Elliott style for the first three downs and just pound it through the line, yeah, it'll hurt Alvin Kamara a little bit. He's not Mark Ingram. He can't do that, really pound through the line. But I think he'll be fine. He's a superstar talent unless proven otherwise. So I'm with him. I'm with that team. And I think that, yeah, it might slow him down a little bit here and there, but you have Drew Brees... You have Sean Payton. you got an offense around you. Put an above-average running back that they have right there, I think they'll be just fine. Two weeks ago, the Pittsburgh
0: Steelers drafted Oklahoma State quarterback Mason Rudolph in the third round, putting him in position to be the successor to Ben Ben Roethlisberger. But Big Ben had some comments about that selection and that decision for the Steelers and kind of questioned why, as a team in position to contend now, they spent a third-round pick on a guy who is – not going to get on the field, or at least Ben Roethlisberger doesn't think he's going
1: to get on the field. What do you make of this situation in Pittsburgh? I think, with all due respect to Ben Roethlisberger, he needs to realize that the door is slowly closing for him. He's not declining; he's not ready to go just yet. But teams need to start looking. That Tom Brady's of the world are getting old. Tom Brady said he wants to play till forty-two. We'll see about that. But they're going to look for a quarterback, probably next draft or even trade for one they meaning new england new england pittsburgh already has a quarterback we're gonna get ready for new orleans to start picking a quarterback behind drew Brees. baltimore already did it with lamar jackson hopefully i am kind of insulted not insulted but affected by big ben's comments because he has the entire city behind them the fan base behind them the teams behind them yeah he has off the field problems but the team loves him the team really enjoys ben roethlisberger there so for Ben to think even for a second his position's in jeopardy because they pick a backup quarterback is a little absurd to me. I think that shows a bit of um I I don't want to say self-esteem issues, but a little bit of a problem for Big Ben if he thinks that his position's in jeopardy just because they brought a backup in, he's a third round pick, maybe he's great, maybe he's not. I just don't I don't know why Big Ben's saying this. I mean, do you have any idea why I does he feel like his job's in jeopardy? Does he feel like his role's in jeopardy? I don't think so.
0: No You just, I guess, for some guys, you don't want to be grooming your replacement, and that's a difficult position to be in. He probably thinks he has more years left in his career than the Steelers do, and he also probably thinks that they could have done something with that pick to build around him and to to win a championship. Now, if they could have gotten a more complementary piece to what they already have in the third round that's probably where his frustration lies in that is the team really all in and winning now or are they peeking down the road to try to replace me? And because of that, he got a little upset. And I think your point's valid in saying, well, just be secure in your ability and you know everything will shake itself out if, if you hold on to that spot and continue to play at the level you have. There's no reason why a third-round quarterback, rookie quarterback, would ever replace you. But he's probably thinking... What if we had gotten a wide receiver that's a huge impact or somebody on the defensive end and we could help that could help us win a championship today? And is the team as invested in winning a championship today as I
1: am? Yeah, and that team as a whole is almost a surefire of a playoffs as basically the top four teams. You look at the AFC, it's going to be New England, it's going to be the Steelers. Look at the NFC, you're going to have the Eagles, you're going to have whether Minnesota, Minnesota, Los Angeles, LA Rams, even. Like New Orleans is New Orleans, good, yeah. yeah. You're going to have those. They're about as surefire as you can imagine. So for Big Ben to shorten up, I think that kind of lands in Tomlin's lap a little bit for him to go out and tell his guys, the head coach he is, and tell Big Ben, saying, listen, I get you're, I guess, not confident that we're with you. You have been here forever. You have two rings. You're a surefire Hall of Famer. Just go out and play like it, and you won't have to worry about him at all. Absolutely. Our last note, Jason Witten,
0: longtime Dallas Cowboys tight end, will be heading to the broadcast booth following in the footsteps of his former teammate Tony Romo, who last year was CBS Sports' top football analyst. Jason Witten will be joining the ESPN Monday Night Football booth after immediate, immediately after retiring as a Dallas Cowboy tight end. First, let's go on the field. What's the impact on Dallas you know, second round, the Eagles traded up to get ahead of them to take Dallas Godert, who will hopefully be a big compliment to what Zach Ertz has given the team. The Cowboys right now, you know, still predicated around the ground game. Obviously, some holes as far as receiving targets with Des Bryant being released and now Jason Witten retiring.
1: What's the impact on the Cowboys first? I mean, you just lost number four all time on passes caught. He is perhaps the best tight end. He's up there with Tony Gonzalez. He's up there with Antonio Gates of just pure tight end. Uh, as a Dak Prescott, if from his position, you lost your two most reliable wide receivers. When you think of football as a whole and when you think of a fourth down, you heave the ball. You want to heave it to someone you can trust. Your Jordy Nelson of sorts when he was on Green Bay. When you're on Dallas, you can't throw it to Dez anymore. You can't throw it to Witten anymore. You lost a huge piece of that offense, and you lost a huge off-the-field piece. Witten was the face of your team. He was loved in Houston. He will finish on number four all-time passes caught, and he has about a uh, 50-catch difference between number five, which is Marvin Harrison. The next active player uh, below him is Brandon Marshall, and he has 150 to go, but Larry Fitzgerald is still moving above him. Jason Witten, off the field, though, I think it's a great opportunity for him. I think he'll be great at it. He knows the game, much like Tony Romo did. Uh, He comes out, he knows the game in and out. He knows the updated rosters. He's seen everybody active. Uh, I think he'll have enough experience to go out there and do it, and I'm excited to see who they pair him with and how he sounds in the booth.
0: You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. About a quarter of the way through the baseball season, And earlier today, you mentioned to me National League and American League East. Very interesting. A lot of teams that are in the conversation. Eight and a half games back are the Miami Marlins, but only three games separating the top four teams in the National League East. The American League East, not quite as tight, but still three teams there at the top in the Yankees, Red Sox and Blue Jays separated by just six games let's start in the national league where the atlanta braves have been on a little bit of a roll they lead the division at 21 and 14 this season seven and three in their last 10 but the Phils, the Nats, and the mets right there behind them two three four
1: yeah in the beginning of the year when we had that kind of slip from the nationals we were like oh this might look a little different but i think everybody that was uh coherent in the baseball world knew that that doesn't mean the Nats are just going to slip they're going to be good we just have a lot of other teams competing with them. I mean, the Braves have young talent that somehow is surging at Okuna. the right times. Yeah, they have two. They have Okuna and um, oh the other guy, the who hits lead off of them the second year, dude. Uh look up. His name. Yeah, I know who you're um, talking about, but the Phillies have been hot and cold, but hot at the right times, and they're they're tied for first in the division. The Nationals are the Nationals, and the Mets are batting out of order. But anyway. <laughs> uh what's what's uh what's new yeah it's nothing's new. but this is a division that we're a quarter of the way through the season and while it might be at, at any point too early to tell but once we're a quarter of the way this division looks like when we get to the end this can be a, a winner and a wild card that we see in the playoffs and i think it all, i'll almost guarantee it's going to be a winner and a wild card from this division because all four teams are packing either youth or veteran leadership and given that's what it is for well, most go. teams. <laughs> no, I got you, though. Like, right.
0: It's good youth yeah, you or you it's good veterans. Yeah, really great youth yeah. leadership
1: that's carrying you to this point or really great veteran leadership that's carrying you to this point.
0: Is there a favorite of the four? Is um, it still Washington?
1: I'm going to still probably say it's Washington. Yeah. Um, Bryce Harper has even exceeded what we thought Bryce Harper can do. Uh, Steven Strasburg, uh, not Steven Strasburg, well, he's doing great, but Max Scherzer, Scherzer. put yeah. up. I think 15 Ks in 7 innings or 15 Ks in 8 innings somebody crazy like that. Um I think the Washington Nationals are still the favorite and it's going to be the Braves, the Phillies and the Mets fighting huge series this weekend though Phillies and the Mets they start up this Friday. That'll be a good uh division settler. Um but I'm going to I'm going to give this one to the Nationals and I think it's theirs to lose.
0: In the American League East, the Yankees lead the Red Sox by one game. Toronto, not too far behind, six and a half games back. But how about Klaber Torres and what he's done in the last few games for the Yankees? Hitting 333. part of a little renaissance. They started slow, but now picking it up. Nine and one in their last ten are the Yanks. Judge hitting his stride. Stanton, still not great numbers on the season, but he's up to nine home runs, which is not bad at all. Didi Gregorius actually
1: leads the team with ten. What have you made of the Yankees so far? The Yankees are first in the, uh, the MLB in runs, first in the MLB in on base percentage, second in slugging, and 11th in batting average, and their pitching's top 10 in every category. I mean, the Yankees have proven that they can do it with. Unsung heroes, will say with Didi, even though Didi was already yeah. performing at his best. But, but what ex- is he? On,
0: he's on pace for what forty-five home runs or something yeah, like. You, you would don't expect, expect that it to
1: be a Stanton or a Judge or a Sanchez. Yeah. If the Yankees somehow—not somehow—but if they sweep the Boston Red Sox in this series, what they like to call the Spring Classic, if they sweep the Boston Red Sox, this Yankees team has proven that it's their division because Mookie Betts is playing superstar caliber. Uh, the whole Red Sox team has been playing super great, uh, s- starting off with the best record in baseball. But if the Red Sox can get swept, if the Red Sox do get swept here, give it to the Yankees. I don't want to say lock it up, but that's a big drop for you this early in the season to already be behind the Yankees by a full series.
0: Are these the best two teams in the American League?
1: Um, I will – I'll say Yes. Uh, I'll say they're the best two teams in the American League at this point. Um, I think maybe later in the season we can see a Houston pop up. Maybe later in the season we'll see an Angels pop up. But I think at this point they're the best two teams in the American
0: League. feels like 2004, 2005 in yeah. here. They're they're ba- both back on top, and the Yankees continue to add on to what was already a playoff team last year. They look really good. Boston right there, too. I mean, a lot of big ticket additions. It's it does harken back to those days about 5, 10 years ago with both of these teams. In the Central, we didn't touch on them. You talked about Houston and L.A., who right now 24-22 wins apiece, right in the conversation at the top of the American League. But there's nobody like that in the American League Central. Nobody's Not even, even above five hundred. Yeah, Cleveland leads the division at 18-18. and 18. Minnesota behind them with 15 wins. Kansas City and the White Sox, complete rebuild mode. They're in conversations to be the worst team in baseball. I mean, Cleveland's the favorite. Do you feel good about anybody else in the Central moving no, forward?
1: I really don't. I like you mentioned White Sox and Royals. They we knew they were going to be there. Yeah, uh, Detroit's not necessarily surprising, but I would I thought they would be better than fifteen and twenty one. They all have huge negative run differentials. Besides Detroit, which is the minus eight. Cleveland's, I guess they have to be the favorite in that division. Get back for another year. But they, that whole AL is up for grabs. I mean, you know that American League is going to have a winner and a wild card. But if it's not the Angels or Houston for that other wild card spot, it's up for grabs for anyone. And it doesn't look like anyone in the Central wants to grab it. It's It's almost gifted to them because they just need to produce. But no team looks great here, given it's only a quarter of the way through the season. You can find strides like the Cleveland Indians did when they won 23, I believe the number was. Yeah, something like that, 23 or 24. They found their stride. Yeah, that's it a stride. Again. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, they'll, uh, maybe they'll find their stride again and go 24 in a row. But what I asked at the, end, uh, at the bottom of this, out of all the teams, which one surprises you in the positive way and which one's disappointing you? Uh, not, not necessarily you personally, which one's right. st- disappointing in the MLB standpoint.
0: I gotcha. It's surprising. I'll, I'll go with the Angels. I did not think Shohei Otani would have this large an impact when he first came over, especially after he really struggled in spring training. So I'll go with the Angels as a surprise team. And they also have a few injuries that they're dealing with. Uh, a positive surprise team. On the other hand, a team that's been disappointing. I'll go back to the Chicago Cubs still. At some point with this team, I know they started slow last year and they were fine. But they have more talent than everybody else in the Central. It really should be a case where they take the division by the reins and they don't let up on it. I know it's early. They're only a game back. But there's four teams right in the conversation with them. Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, who I think has the best chance of the four, of the three teams to upset the Cubs in that division. So I'll go with the Cubs because I thought this was a year where they could reestablish themselves as a National League power based on how they closed last season, and they seem to be falling back into the pattern of a season ago where they started slow. Maybe they'll still take over the division at the end, but you would like the team just to be a power from the beginning.
1: I'm going to go my surprise... Uh, I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to say it's the Los Angeles Angels. I think that Otani's been great. Trout has been unreal. MVP. Yeah, at this point. And we've kind of seen a resurgent Albert Pujols, which I never really thought I would say he needs to be resurgent, but he's stepped up. He hit 3,000, and he's been hitting more and more. 3,000 hits, that is, three thousand his hits. career. Yeah, yeah. I really like I think that Angels team is surprising. I thought they were gonna be a playoff team, but twenty-two and fourteen so far, that's a good standpoint for them. Uh my disappointment, I'm gonna to go to the Baltimore Orioles. We knew that team wasn't gonna be elite, but sitting at nine and twenty seven with two great talents in Manny Machado and Jones, even with Davis. Machado's gone.
0: Oh yeah, he's has to pack his bags. His bags are already packed.
1: His bags are waiting in the car. They that team isn't Way better than nine and twenty seven. I don't know what is going on with them, but if they even had a sliver of hope that they can keep Manny Machado, nine and twenty seven is not going to do it for them. How about the Dodgers is another disappointment? i I'm disappointed, but I think it's a really injury heavy. Mm-hmm. I think they've got turn it around. With, I got hit with the injury bug a little bit. Um and I think both you and I in our sports history can attest that we can see an injury bug when we see it. Carson Wentz going down. That it, we, but that didn't affect the team that much. Hey, hey. yeah, I mean, no, that didn't. That Nick did not. Foles, baby. That did not affect the no, team. I, that I got much. you though. You, but you can tell when
0: it's a team that is underperforming versus a team that is actually just undermanned. Yeah,
1: I think that team is incredibly undermanned. Even with Kershaw going on a DL, that's a really undermanned spot.
0: Hello, what's going on, everyone, and welcome. To uncased. We're bringing a little bit of sports. We're bringing a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of comedy, and maybe why not a little bit of po- po- politics.
1: Getting ready, uh, excited for the new show. You're easily a, a, a tier one YMC team at My man was talking best. spicy and then he retracted his statement. You, you, you can't do that. Buns. Just buns. I want to say mad buns because... I like I like the thought. Fun's, I think they're doing the best that they can. It's not good enough. You're listening to Uncaged. Thank you and peace out.
0: Uncaged featuring Ahmed Quadri and Jake Lampert is available now under the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast feed wherever you download your podcast.